0: Old. Well, hey, um, let's do something to try and get us into the seasonal spirit. Top three best selling Christmas songs of all time. Any guesses? Oh, Holy Night. Silent Night. I heard Silent Night is number two. 30 million copies sold by Bing Crosby. We're just talking about recordings, right? Uh, what else? All I Want for Christmas? It's in the top 10. White Christmas, number one, 50 million copies. Bing Crosby again. How about number three? It's a little more contemporary. Joy to the world. That should be it. That's not it. Yeah. Mariah Carey. There's a hint. All I want for Christmas. That's the one. Uh, and, and if you took the combined sales totals of all of the top, say, 50 best-selling Christmas recordings of all time the cumulative total wouldn't even begin to touch the number of times that the real songs of Christmas have been read and distributed and cherished. In the Gospel of Luke, in the first two chapters, we have recorded the first four known songs written in honor of the birth of Jesus. When you think about it, the birth of Jesus has probably inspired more great art, more music than any other event in history. From from Bach and Handel and Charles Wesley all the way to a newly recorded Christmas album late last year by the Backstreet Boys. They are, they're, they're back. <laughs> There's just something about the birth of Jesus that cries out for music. And we're gonna talk a little bit more next week about what that might be. But for right now, just as a way of... Uh, I don't know having a little bit of a of a pause moment why don't you turn to a person next to you and just ask them hey what's your favorite christmas song Okay, what are some of the favorites? What have we got? Silent Night, Silent Night yes. Holy Nights, yes. I want a hippopotamus. No, you didn't say that one, no. Okay. Santa Baby? No, a little... Okay. We are, over the next four weeks, going to look at the four first songs... Of Christmas, And today, we're starting with the very first one. Uh, you'll notice if you have your Bibles, I hope you brought a Bible or a device. If you turn with me in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, uh, uh, late in that chapter, around verse 45 or so, you'll notice that the, the text begins to look differently on the page. Up until then, it's prose. It's written like a novel. This doesn't look like a novel anymore. This looks like poetry. And there's a reason. These are song lyrics. This may be the most profound, most insightful, most influential Christmas song ever written, and amazingly, it was sung by a 15-year-old girl. And the sheer brilliance of what Mary is singing, I think sometimes it goes unnoticed. But sometimes we, we revere something so much, see it as so sacred that we don't actually listen to it internalize it. I hope by the end of today's message, you will be stunned. Stunned by the words themselves, stunned by the devotion of Mary, who first sang the words by the sheer capacity that she had to be able to honor God in her life by her tenacity and her courage. But I hope especially this, that you will be even more amazed about the son that she carried, the son that she raised, and the son that she was singing about. For Mary, these words, they weren't just words. She had to live them. And maybe we don't realize it, but when when God's messenger Gabriel first appears to Mary and say, hey, what, you know what, I got some news. It wasn't good news. The news that she got was desperate news. It was dangerous news. She was going to have a child, but she wasn't married. She was engaged, not married to Joseph. This was... This was a young woman who was about to become an unwed, pregnant teenage girl. And Joseph, her fiancé, could have, probably should have rejected her. According to the Torah, he had every right to set her aside, and the penalty for this was actually severe, up to and including stoning. She would be the subject of rumors and ugly gossip and speculation. Nazareth was a small town, and Some of you know what small towns are like. Everyone knows everyone's business. And to make matters worse, if what God had said actually was true, that the child that she carried was the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, then her life would be in constant danger because of the threat that he posed to all of the other ruling powers in the world. And as it turns out, she was right. It didn't take long before the first of those kings in a long line of a man named Herod, not thrilled to hear this news that a new king was about to be born in the world that set, set out a wave of genocide and left Mary and Joseph and their child on the run. Jesus literally is born into a refugee family and lives at least the first two years of his, house, of his life in a refugee home. In a very real way, Mary and, and Joseph, they suffered for their Messiah before their Messiah would suffer for them. But Mary, in the midst of these circumstances, as, as, as risky and, and, and wild and dangerous as they were, Scripture says she magnified the Lord. Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to have this child, and her response is, well, uh, no. Her response is, behold the Lord's servant, let it be according to your word. I'll tell you another song most people don't associate with Christmas. It's a Beatles song. It's actually one of John Lennon's masterpieces. You know, let it be. Of course, you know, let it be. There was a time in the church we wouldn't admit that we knew it, but we know it. (laughs) That song actually is a reflection on this song. Do you know the lyrics? When I find myself in times of trouble, John Lennon sings, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in fact, if you were to finish the sentence, it's, let it be according to your will. It's the song of Mary. You didn't know that about the Beatles, did you? You're all going to go home and listen to some Beatles this afternoon. Read the Magnificat first. Why is it called the Magnificat, by the way, the song? Uh, The the reason is a simple one. Uh, For for much of history, the Bible was known, read, and distributed in Latin. And so the the words that this verse begins with, the Song of Mary, begins with, Magnificat anima mea dominit. My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat, to magnify. Everybody's soul does that. Everybody's soul magnifies something. It's part of what it means to be a human. To magnify something means that that we give it extraordinary place and privilege in our life. So our mind drifts in that direction of whatever it is we're magnifying. Our desires kind of get shaped around it. Our identity gets all tied up in it. Your joys rise. Your sorrows fall, depending on whether or not you're getting enough of it. When you magnify something, it assumes central position in your life. So a workaholic magnifies work. A hypochondriac magnifies their health or, or lack of it, illness, catastrophizers. They magnify anxiety and worry. Some people will magnify money. Some magnify sexuality. Some approval. Some magnify security. But but we all magnify something. As for Mary, my soul, she says, magnifies the Lord. Here's the song. It's so rich. I think we should I think we should read it again. Tate did such a fantastic job. Open your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. I want you to have this song in your head and in your hearts. In fact, all four of the great Christmas songs, you are going to know them and love them. And they're going to be embedded deep in your soul by the end of Christmas this year. Luke 1, 46, And Mary says, here it is, Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? Because he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Because the mighty one, the Lord has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And here's where it gets explosive. You thought this was a simple little lullaby. This is no cradle song. This is disruptive dynamite to begin the Christmas season. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God has performed mighty deeds with his arms, scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts, brought down rulers from their thrones, and lifted up the humble. And he's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This song is—it's filled with riches. Uh, it's filled with lots of allusions to the Old Testament scriptures. The Psalms are filled with language like this. Psalm 34: My soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord. Psalm 35: My spirit rejoices with gladness in God my Savior. Mary knew the scriptures. In fact, she knew them so well, most scholars who've lived with this text say she probably had the bulk of the psalms, all the psalms memorized. We underestimate the capacity uh, of the human brain because we don't have to memorize things anymore. But if you didn't read and didn't write, This is a muscle that gets really strong, and and scholars are are, are impressed with Mary's knowledge of Scripture woven throughout the Magnificat. And it's not just that she's quoting, she's using the Scriptures to reflect on what it is about God that's so extraordinary. There's a fascinating book written a few years ago by a man named Scott McKnight. It's about the life of Mary, the real Mary, the, the first century peasant girl, not Not Mary in theology, you know, what what Mary has become somewhat in in tradition, but the real Mary. He talks about what's going on here in the world in the time when Mary was first coming of age. I'd like to walk through just a little bit of it, because I think you'll find it fascinating. And it will help unpack what it is that is so dynamic about this Christmas song. In Mary's day, the most important man in the world, Caesar Augustus. He's the emperor of Rome. And there's this language that circulates around Caesar. Rome had good news. They had good news. And this was the good news. Caesar reigns. And that was was enshrined. It was on banners. It was written on walls. It was pronounced in public settings. Caesar reigns. Now, Augustus Caesar, he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. When Julius Caesar died... He was declared to have been divine, and that makes Augustus Caesar the son of the divine one, or the son of God. So developing around Caesar, you have this proclamation that there is good news, that the son of God reigns. And when Augustus seizes power, he puts an end to all the civil wars that are kind of tearing Rome apart. He's the bringer of peace, and the Pax Romana. And so he was called the people's savior. And at his inauguration, when his reign was declared throughout the empire, they used a very technical phrase to, to, to describe that moment. It's a word that we think belongs first to the New Testament, but belongs first here in history. It was called the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news. And what is the good news? The euangelion, the good news? Caesar reigns. Caesar, son of God, bringer of peace, savior of his people. Notice those same four expressions are the four expressions used, I think, with absolute intentionality by God as he inaugurates the beginning of Jesus' work in the world. This is going to be news. This is going to be good news. This is going to be incredible news. No accident. They use exactly the same words. So here, Mary is told that Jesus will be what? The Son of the Most High. The Son of God. In Luke chapter 2, if you flip ahead a page, the well-known Christmas story, the the night skies are, are lit up by an angelic messenger who says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. Guess what word it is? gospel. And from there on, the gospel comes to be associated with the coming of Jesus. But realize that was first a technical word that was used to describe Caesar. This is good news, the angel says, of great joy. I bring you the gospel. The angels sing on, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior. There's that word previously used for Augustus, now used for Jesus. And then a whole host of angels join the song. They're singing together, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So in Jesus, there is a gospel, good news, that the Son of God has come. He is a Savior for his people and the Prince of Peace. Hijacking all of the titles given erroneously to Caesar, and restoring them to Jesus. Does that help bring that song to life? Powerful rulers around the world are going to be defied because the real Son of God is here, the real Savior, the real peace bringer, and that's good news. Now, that's a lot to absorb. That's a lot for us to absorb 20 centuries later. It was a lot for them to absorb. And who is it that has to absorb it first? Well, listen to this. Unbelievable. Luke chapter 2. After the shepherds got the news, <laughs> the, the blue-collar agricultural workers get the news, were told that the shepherds spread the news concerning everything that had been given to them about this child. And notice this, Luke 2.18. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said, amazed. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things. This is verse 19, chapter 2. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Everyone amazed. Everyone marveled at what the shepherds said. Everyone went wild, but Mary, Mary's in a class by herself right now. She, She treasured and she pondered. And to tell you the truth, I've, I've kind of sat with that phrase for a long time. Most of you have too. What does it mean that she pondered? Is this like a little scrapbooking moment where where mom pulls out an herbal tea and begins to just ponder all of the memories, kind of a, a hallmark moment? No, no. Again, this is very, very specific language, very carefully chosen, technical language. That word pondering, you know who does that? That's the word used to describe the work of a prophet. A prophet who would discern, what is it that God is doing in the world? How is God at work? What what is God up to? That's what Mary's doing. She's pondering. You have all these great stories circulating around the birth of Jesus and great characters. There's Joseph a righteous man. There's the Magi, these wise, educated men. There's Herod, a king, a powerful man. There's Zechariah, the priest, a holy man. You would think that one of them would be at work discerning, pondering. But they're still, they're in that category that they're just struck by the initial wave of amazement. They were amazed. But here's one person who gets it. One person who ponders. The very first identifier and proclaimer of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is an unwed, maybe 15-year-old girl. So Scott McKnight writes, he says, without dismissing the critical role played by apostles and evangelists, we must remember the story being recorded here in the gospels begins when Mary starts to ponder. And after pondering, when Mary begins to tell the story about Jesus to others. The Song of Mary, Magnificat. Not just some innocent little bit of religious writing. Not just harmless words of devotion. This is a song with with teeth, with dynamite in it. I mean, think about Mary, this little peasant girl living in a world where there are lots of peasants and where Herod the Great becomes the great by taxing poor peasant families like Mary's into obliteration. Mary lives in a world where Caesar Augustus becomes august by forcing people to bend the knee to him and to Rome and people are not happy about it. And they begin to cry out to God, how long, how long do we have to wait? She's using the language of justice and protest. Look at her song. She's talking about God. She says, God has scattered those who are proud. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. I'll tell you a secret. Rulers don't like it when people sing songs like that, do they? He's lifted up the humble, filled the hungry with good things, but the rich, he sends them away empty. It's no wonder that E. Stanley Jones, great missionary, said that the Magnificat, The Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. I'll tell you a great story, true story. In the 1980s, the public reading use of the Magnificat was banned nationwide in Guatemala. They were so afraid of how politically charged, how subversive it was, that it could not be read anywhere in public. Can you imagine somebody saying to a teenage girl in first century Nazareth, 2,000 years later, the words of your song will become so powerful that an entire nation will forbid their reading in public. One day, Jesus grows up, and he would defy Herod, and he would defy Pilate, and he would defy the Sanhedrin, and he would even defy appeals to Caesar? Who do you think was the first person to tell Jesus that there is a God who brings human rulers down? It was Mary who magnified the Lord. I was thinking this week as I was reading and rereading the song about those those moments that that we had as parents. Some of you had these moments as parents when you When you sing to your kids, uh, and whether you can sing or not, you still sing to your kids. And sometimes we, we sing silly little ditties, and sometimes we sing inspirational songs, but we sing over our kids. Mary had a song, and it must have pleased her Heavenly Father when she sang it, and sang it over Him again and again and again. And I'm sure she must have. This came from someplace deep in her soul. And I imagine it came back to her again and again and again. And what's amazing to look at is how in so many ways Jesus is actually Mary's song come to life. I mean, she must have told him as he he was growing up about that time when Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to have a child. And she responded, I don't think that's possible. I've never been with a man. And, And Gabriel said, Remember the verse, nothing is impossible with God. Many years later, Jesus is teaching and he says, Matthew 19, 26, hey, you know what? With God, all things are possible. Where did he get that? Hey, mom, I'm singing our song. Mary sang uh, that, that God had blessed her, even though she, she looked insignificant to the world. She said, God has been mindful, this is verse 48, of, of the humble state of his servant. In the eyes of the world, I look like nothing, but from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She must have sang that again and again to Jesus. And then he grew up, and one day he gives a talk. The most influential, most important, most studied, most quoted, most remembered talk in the history of the world. You know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Remember how it begins? By focusing on people in the most humble, insignificant places. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Because now through me, through the life and love and power of God, there are riches available to you. One of the central features of of Jesus' teaching is sometimes called the great inversion, where the world with its values that are messed up and junked up and dark gets challenged and defied and overthrown. That great inversion, it's the central theme of Mary's song. Listen to verse 52, chapter one of Luke. The humble will be lifted up, and the rulers will be humbled. And the rich who exalt themselves, they'll be sent away empty. Mary would have sung that song to to little Jesus. He's filled the hungry with good things over and over again. God fills the hungry with good things. One day, 30 years later, Jesus is teaching and the crowds are forming and there's a lot of them, 5,000. It's a poor culture and they're hungry and he feeds them. Another day he's teaching, same thing, more crowds, 4,000 people, they're all hungry, they're mostly poor, and he feeds them all. On the last night of his life, he gathers together his disciples, his closest friends, and he feeds them the Last Supper. My body, he says, broken for you. My blood, shed for you. In the Gospel of John, the last time they see Jesus on earth, after the resurrection, what's he doing? He's kneeling on the ground, a little charcoal fire on the beach, cooking them breakfast. And I wonder if he thought to himself, hey, Mom, I'm filling the hungry with good things. And I wonder how many times after singing that song, they would talk about everything that they risked, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and, and maybe about the courage required to respond to, to Gabriel's frightening announcement with those words, let it be according to your will I wonder maybe if even she had a chance to sit with young Jesus and and say it's okay son your your heavenly father has always been faithful and remember if he ever asks you to do a hard thing remember how your life started remember what your mom said when she was still just a scared young girl Years later in the garden, in the shadows of a cross, the father did ask the son to do a hard thing. He asked of his son, will you take on yourself the weight of the sins of the world? All of that darkness, all of that death, would you take it so that forgiveness and love can begin to flow? The, the great reversal And the scriptures say that Jesus agonized about it, but the words came from somewhere deep within. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Let it be according to your will. And I wonder if just for a few moments in the garden, he thought, hey, Mom, I'm singing our song. I chose the hard thing. And then I wonder at last, when Jesus speaks his final words from the cross, words that, that were intended for everyone there in the crowds to hear, but I think especially intended for his mother's ears. He musters his last ounce of strength and and says, It is finished. Hey mom, I sang your song. And he did. He's king of kings, Lord of lords, very God of very God. And he was his mother's son. Let's spend some time in prayer together. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and maybe take a moment in a season that can be so busy, filled with so much noise, so many songs, some of them silly. Would you take a moment to ponder into treasure. Everyone magnifies something. What will you magnify? We all move through these season humming songs. What song will your life sing? Heavenly Father, on this day we remember Jesus. we remember his mother Mary. And we're amazed and we marvel and we're undone Now that old, old song comes to us and the old question comes with it. Will you die to your old plans, your old dreams, your old life? So that through Jesus, you can be born again into a joyfully magnificent life of abundance. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in the room and joining us online. Some in high places, some in low. All of us need to be challenged. We need to be led by you to be healed, to be restored. Would you help us, Lord, to ponder and treasure Mary's song? We pray in the name of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.